0: Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit SozoSMTX.com. Thank you. If you don't know Lauren and I and the kids, we uh, just got back a little over a week ago from the six-week sabbatical and we just had a blast, and we're so blessed. One of the things that was phenomenal is that we could leave for six weeks and just trust that God's gonna continue to move and do like great things in our absence, and so it's good to come back to a church family that is doing really well. Um, lots of people go into the nations, cool stuff happening in our uh, region, cool stuff happening in our youth. I thought Jackson was about to preach, and I wasn't gonna get a chance to come up. I mean, Jackson, where are you? You're back in the back. Man, you looked comfortable right here. Um, and so we, we had a phenomenal time. We did road trip for a while. Um, one of our goals was really just to make memories and have a good time with our kids. Um, being the, the kids of pastors, um, they, our kids, have sacrificed a lot in this journey. Um, and so we just wanted just to have uh, some memories with them, and then uh, just have some time for Lauren and I to connect, Uh, and we uh, just are so blessed by that time. Many of you gave generously um, so that we could uh, afford to do that, and so grateful um, for that opportunity. Um, One of the things along the way, so what we've done with our kids is if we're going somewhere, I'll often show them pictures of where we're headed just so that they can begin to have anticipation and just know what we're getting into, and so... Uh, we were talking with our kids, and one of our stops was the Grand Canyon. You ever been to the Grand Canyon? No? Somebody's upset about that. Sorry, Chris. Um, and, uh, and so I was, like, talking with our kids and showing them pictures of the Grand Canyon, but also describing it. And so describing the Grand Canyon to a three-year-old is interesting, because I'm like, essentially, son, it's a really big hole in the... Um, which was just hilarious, and we had many of those uh, those hilarious moments with our kids. Y'all want one more funny one? Yeah. Okay. So we we uh, were at Schlitterbahn, which is not far away, obviously, it's just down the road New Braunfels. Um, I'm gonna get in trouble for this one probably in a few years, but so we're riding the, the lazy river. <laughs> um, this is not good parenting advice, and you're not gonna appreciate this, but... We get out of like this Lazy River thing and my son Eli says, I need to go to the bathroom and there's like no no bathroom nearby. So I'm like, just go. Like he's soaking wet. So we're just walking and he's like going to the bathroom, which is kind of gross and hilarious and sorry about that if you go to, everybody's done it is what Lauren says. So we know she's done it also. Um... (laughs) So, So we're just off this, we're off this ride and it's the longest like water slide in the world. It's like this continual raise. I think it's called the hills or hillside or something like that. And, uh, and so Eli does, and then Evelyn, who's six, said, oh, I just went in my tube. And I'm thinking, Evelyn, your tube had a bottom on it. <laughs> <laughs> so that describes much of our sabbatical. Um, in, in the middle of all of that, God was actually speaking some things to my heart. Um, a, a, f- a few words that he was speaking, and Lauren and I were just kind of processing these words. One, it was actually something that started uh, the week before we left. I shared it a bit with you, and, and we'll kind of focus on it this morning, is the word courage. And God just began just to unpack that word more deeply in me. Another is the word consecration. Consecration essentially means to be set apart. And I feel like uh, in the next few weeks, we'll start a series. It's gonna be called something like Holy Rebels or something like that. And really, how do we navigate culture as followers of Jesus? In fact, in many ways, our culture has been so parallel to like Christian culture and the world haven't been, in America, haven't been that divergent from each other. And yet now they're like, and it's like, what, what do we do? How do we live that out? And I think the solution, and we'll talk about this in weeks to come, is to live a consecrated life. To live a life wholly devoted to God. Uh, Daniel, Elijah, John the Baptist, obviously Jesus are really good examples of what that looks like. And so we'll talk through some really tough topics in our day that it's like, what in the world do we do with that, so uh, consecration and another is really quite simple. It's it's habits. And so God just started talking with me about the habits and rhythms and routines of my life. But I, I want to talk to you this morning uh, about courage, and we're going to look at the journey out of the Promised Land. We'll look a little bit in particular at uh, a guy named Caleb, and so you can go with me to Joshua chapter fourteen. We'll start in verse six. I'm gonna get started as you go there. It says, now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, so Joshua is now the the leader after Moses. They're now taking uh, land in the promised land. And how many of you know this, that when we read the Old Testament, it reveals the New Testament. In the Old Testament, they were in physical war and they were fighting real physical enemies. But in the New Testament, in our day, our battle, Paul says this really well in Ephesians chapter six. He says, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Okay, so when we read the stories in the Old Testament, we have to read them through the lens of the New Testament. Does that make sense? Yes. And so as we see this even occupying new territory, it's not talking about colonialism and that we should you know, begin to, to take land from uh, neighboring nations or our neighbors. What it's talking about, it's actually, uh, it's, it's a spiritual reality behind a veil. And as we see it through the lens of the New Testament, the veil is lifted. It says, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea About you and me, I was forty years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent uh, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the Promised Land. So they were just on the other side of the Jordan, and he was one of the spies. We'll look at that story in a second. And they went to spy out the Promised Land, and it says, "And I brought him a report according to my convictions." Say "My my convictions. You see. If you're going to step into the promises of God for your life, then you're going to have to hold fast to the convictions that God gives you by faith. Are you with me? So what what Caleb was saying is I never wavered from the things that God spoke to my heart, from who he called me to be and who I know him to be. He says, I gave him a report according to my convictions, but my fellow Israelites who went up with me made me, made the hearts of the people melt in fear. How many of you know fear is contagious? Yes. And it'll melt your heart and it will steal your courage and it will cause you to see the problems of this world instead of the promises of God. Yes. He says I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. That's what God's looking for. That's what we were talking about, or worshiping, singing about. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance. You know, when we hold fast to the promises of God, there is an inheritance that he has for us. And The truth is, everybody that lived in Joshua and Caleb's day had an inheritance, but only Joshua and Caleb got to live out their inheritance, got to enjoy their inheritance because they trusted God. They lived by the convictions that God had given them. They didn't let their hearts melt with fear. And that your children, let's see. The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever. So not only is the breakthrough that they're going to experience for them, but it's also for the generations to come. How many of you know that we're making decisions today, your decisions to follow Jesus or the compromises that you make, those things are not about you. They're actually for the generations that come after you. One of the things that Lauren and I did, it's not a lot of fun to talk about, but we had some really tough conversations about the trajectory of our family over the last six or seven weeks. And some of it was like, oh, wow, we made some mistakes. And there's some tough things that we need to work on and change. And and there's some difficult things. But here's the reality. We recognize this, that we're not making decisions simply for the present moment, but for future generations that have not even been born yet. And so we've got a responsibility to steward a legacy and to pass on an inheritance that's going to be a blessing for generations. It says, now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. That was 40 years. They're five years into the conquest of the promised land. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. Come on. Come on, that's a good word right there. Hey, I just wanna talk to you folks that have maybe no hair like me, but gray hair. Maybe you're uh, of the age that you could receive Social Security and Medicare, all that stuff. I just wanna say to you that the spirit, this mindset is available for you. You can say, hey, I'm just going to retire. talking about, and the reality is is that we need you to be in the fight. You don't stop parenting when your kids leave your house. In fact, in many ways that's when you start spiritual parenting. That's wow. Come on. I am still as strong today as I was the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was to, was then. Don't buy into the American dream lie of retirement. I'm not saying don't save up some money and free up your time. That's fine. That's great. But you're not done when your job is over. You're just getting started. Come on. You yourself, let's see. Oh. Now give me this mountain that the Lord promised me that day. You heard you yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their enemies were let's see and their cities were larger, were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kinesite. Huh. yeah, those words, man. Don't they know that we're all gonna speak English when we get to heaven? I heard a joke from a missionary. He said one time, he said, uh, do you know what we're gonna speak when we get to heaven? He said, no, I'm not, I'm not sure. He said, we're all gonna speak English because Americans are too dumb to learn any other language. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be offended, it's okay, you're not dumb. You're just stubborn, that's all. So Hebron has belonged, yeah, to those guys because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba, after Arba, who was a great man among the Anakites. Then the land rested for more. Here's what it's saying in all those words that are hard to understand, back to the Anakites, that these guys were giants, that they lived in a land that was terrifying. And yet, what Caleb was saying is, that mountain is my inheritance. Give it to me. We're going to take the mountain. And what I've seen God do over and over and over again has come through. And he said, so I'll I'll, I'll take that mountain and I know that my God will help me. There are mountains in your life that you're looking at, and the truth is you're not sure if you're going to take them. For some of you, it's the tough conversations you need to have with your spouse. For others, it's the reality that you've got addictions that you have to get out of. For some of you, it's the way that you're spending your resources, your time, your money, your energy. For others of you, it's the passion that's burning in your heart that you've set on the shelf time and time again. Over the last six or seven weeks, God's just been speaking in my heart, take the mountain, take the mountain, take the mountain. I think there's some mountains in my personal life that I know that I can't go back to normal on. There's some mountains for us as a church family that I know that God is calling us to take. One of the things that we just talked about as as an elder team this last week, it's like there's a couple of mountains that we have to take and we don't yet have a plan. We're praying into a plan, but we know this. We're grateful for this space, but we need a space of our own. We need to take that mountain. There's a a message and a grace on our church family that has to multiply to the cities around us and to the nations. And we're loaded with leaders that can carry that message. I mean, honestly, it's quite crazy, the spiritual maturity in this room. And my my concern for us, if I'm going to be real honest, is that if we don't take some mountains, we're going to grow bored and lazy, that we're gonna squander all that God has entrusted to us. There's mountains that we have to take. And and the reality is, is that God is so good that he walks with us on the journey and gives us the keys that we need in order to take the mountains. And no matter how many battles you've been in and how many mountains you've taken, there's still a requirement for you to agree with the courageous spirit of the Lord to say, you know what, I'm going to step into this new area that God has called me to. It looks like the old mountain, but I still know I need God. If God's not with me, then I am not going to take it. I'm not going to make it. So just to ask God, God, what what are the mountains in my life? Right now, just ask him. I'll give you a second to hear from him. It's not gonna be hard to hear. He's gonna just speak to you real quick. Probably not going to like what he says, but he's really good. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, Kenny. Yeah, yeah, Kenny was saying that he feels like God said, Kenny's one of our elders, he felt like God said there's, in this room there's a lot of Elijahs. And the story of Elijah that he was referencing is when Elijah had the showdown with the prophets of Baal. And in that showdown, what happened is they're basically saying whose God is real. And so the prophets of Baal, they cut themselves and they chant and sing and, and they're trying to call down fire from heaven onto this this pile of sticks, this altar, and nothing happens. And Elijah says, hey, here's what I'll do. I'll let you dump just bucket load after bucket load of water on my sticks, and it will just take one, one phrase, and my God will provide the fire. Mm-hmm. He said, hey, I feel like there are people in this that carry that spirit that believe that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yes, yes that's you I just want to pray for you maybe you're even wrestling with that just stand up real quick we'll get back to the message in a second so Lord I thank you that you're imparting courage that that willingness to obey you in the face of all odds and so Lord we just thank you that it's you it's not even my words it's you releasing that to us Lord that we would say hey we're we're all all in with you like Caleb, we're following you wholeheartedly, and we believe in the face of all odds, in the face of doubt, in the face of mockery, that you are who you said you are, and you'll do what you say you can do. So Lord, I just bless uh, this whole church family, those standing, those seated, Lord, with, with the courage to walk that out. In Jesus' name, Amen. I'm gonna give you a few keys for what that looks like and we can see it in the life of Caleb and it's not specified for Caleb but we know in the timeline that he was there. So Moses has fled, he's he's in the wilderness by himself becoming a shepherd and God speaks to him and says, hey, you're gonna go back to Egypt and you're going to set my people free. The, the, The first step in this journey is he's to go to Pharaoh who would have likely been like his stepbrother growing up, and you're going to say to him that God wants to release Israel to worship him in the desert, in the wilderness. And you see, this is key. If we're going to be a people who take the hills, we have to be a people who live a consecrated life, who live a set-apart life. And so often... We focus more on the promises than the promiser. But the starting place is always in worship. It's always, the focus is always on the promiser. So the reason why they were able, eventually, Joshua and Caleb were were able to take the promised land is because they had chosen to live a consecrated life. They had chosen to say, you know what, I'm all in with God. I belong to him. And so they had chosen really to enter into and honor the covenant that God gave them. So we see what happens in the story. So Moses goes, Pharaoh's like, no, I'm not doing it. So they do the whole 10 plagues thing. Um, It cost Egypt quite a bit to resist what God was doing. Eventually fed up, they say go. And so we've got this group of of slaves, really like a, a nation of slaves that's now released from their captivity. The incredible thing is the Egyptians are so beaten up by the 10 plagues that they experienced that they actually give the Israelites all of their wealth. And so Israel leaves with the, the the slaves leave with the wealth of Egypt. And they go and you know the story, they're faced between the Egyptian army who decided, hey, maybe that was a bad deal to let them go, and so they begin to pursue them. They're stuck at the Red Sea, and Moses is like, God, what do I do? God says, raise your staff. He raises his staff, and they pass through the Red Sea. What we often miss in reading the biblical story is that it's not simply telling us what happened, but it's also telling us what happens. It's telling us a story of God interacting with humanity. Now here's one of the mistakes that we make in trying to understand and apply the Bible to our life. What we're often looking for is a rule book on how God works, right? Anybody, you you want that book? Right, like if I do this, then I get this, and this is what you always do in this situation? Well, it doesn't work that way, right? So they're running out of water, the first time, God says, strike the rock. The second time, Moses doesn't wait to hear what God's saying, because he's like, I know the routine. Here's what we do. We're thirsty. I go to the rock that God tells me to go to. I strike it, and water comes out. So he just strikes it. Well, he disobeys God. Why? Because he's looking for a rule book on how God works, instead of building a relationship with the one who does the works, Right? And so when you look at this whole story of the Exodus, what you see is God leading a people into maturity. And so if you took Israel and said, okay, Israel is not simply a nation of people, but it's, an, it's also symbolic of God working in the lives of people, you begin to see a whole beautiful picture. Let me paint it for you real quick, Cliff Notes version. So, so they come out of slavery. The truth is we're all born into a world that's full of slavery, slavery to sin, to self, just all sorts of mess, right? Like you, you ever wrestled with like an addiction, a bad habit, felt enslaved, right? You've been there, okay. The rest of you are lying, but Damien and I are telling the truth. <laughs> and, so, and so they go through the Red Sea. And so here's what the Red Sea is. Many of you are going to participate in a Red Sea moment this morning. It's baptism, So what happens is they've consecrated themselves, they've given themselves to God, and now they're getting delivered, they're getting baptized as they go through the Red Sea. Red, the color of blood, has to do with being washed in the blood of Jesus. It's a prophetic picture of what's about to come. Then they go into the desert and they start eating, or they, they get thirsty, they start drinking at this place called Mara. Mara's got Dolomite and it gives them all the runs. Kind of gross, right? You don't want to be in the wilderness with the runs. I've actually had that happen before. It's not pleasant. (laughs) But here's what's happening. All of Egypt is getting taken out of them. They're actually getting purified in the middle of all of that. Then they make a covenant with God at Sinai, and they're saying, hey, God, I'm all in. We belong to you. We're yours. We're gonna follow you. They don't always do well with that. But that's the goal. So then, here's what happened to him in the middle. It's an 11-day journey from Egypt to Israel. And it took them 40 years to get there. Why? Because they didn't trust that God, the promise, or the covenant-keeping God was going to keep his promise. So they began complaining, and they didn't trust them when they went to go spy out the promised land, and they started complaining, complained against God, said, hey, we don't have any food, so what, God, what does God do? He actually brings manna from heaven. The picture of God giving himself to us. Not only does he bring manna and he gives them water from the rock, but he also gives them a, a cloud of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. Here's what he's saying, and this is the key. If you're going to step into the promised land, you don't necessarily simply trust In the sign, and the wonder, and the miracle, you trust in the one behind it. And what they were learning to do, what God was teaching them to do, was to trust his presence. Because it's it's not by the map, it's by his presence. Are you with me? Like, it's crucial that you begin to understand kingdom principles. There's a lot in that. But the number one is this, that you follow the presence of God. You learn to, to create a sensitivity to his leading and to his presence. Now, here's what we know about his presence. His, his, his presence will never contradict scripture. As God's leading us, it's not going to contradict scripture. It may contradict your understanding of scripture, but it will never contradict scripture. And so they're learning how to follow God, and that's a huge part of our spiritual maturity is that we learn, okay, what does it look like to follow? They're also learning how to follow Moses. And here's one of the great lost arts in our day, individuality and freedom, and anti-authoritarianism, we all struggle to follow. But there's something about them, Caleb, submitting himself to the leadership of Moses in his life that actually was so vital for him. There's something about us saying, you know what, I'm not going to be the expert in every area of life. So I'm going to trust the people around me. Now, the reality is, I've, I've, I'm grateful that I'm surrounded by incredibly wise counsel. And it depends on the topic who I go to. Not because I know the answer that they'll give me and they'll tell me what I want to know. That's just immaturity, right? But it's like, there's some things that I was thinking through in Muzz, who in Australia, he'll actually be here with us next week. Lauren and I called Muz because it's like, hey, We understand the way he's lived his life and the way he thinks and his heart for us. So we're just going to submit to his leadership in our life in this area. Does that make sense? So there's something key about learning submission, and that's a key that they learned in the wilderness. But ultimately, they were invited into the promised land, and that's the part when Caleb was talking Joshua 14 about going into Kadesh Barnea or going from Kadesh Barnea into the Promised Land and, and to spy it out. They were sent one person from each of the twelve tribes of Israel sent into the Promised Land to spy it out. Ten came back with a bad report. Said, "Hey, there's giants in there. Yeah, the land is flowing with milk and honey, but there's giants." And then they they, they said this thing. You've probably heard this before. They said and we look like grasshoppers in their eyes and in our own. Now, logically put that together. I, they, they didn't have interactions with them. It's not like they went into the promised land, talked to the Canaanites, and the Canaanites said, oh, you guys look like a bunch of grasshoppers. They got lost in vain imagination. They begin to project, hey, this is what they're thinking about us. And what they hadn't learned is the power and the provision and the presence of God leading them all the way through. Egypt was the most powerful military might of their day, and God swallowed them in the Red Sea. If they had just remembered the goodness of God and his stories all the way through, and they begin to celebrate his testimonies, if they would have had that practice of gratitude, what we were doing all this morning, if they would have said, you know what? We know what God can do. It's what Caleb said. He said, hey, I'm gonna take that mountain and I know that God's with me. So then they get, finally after they wait the 40 years, they get to the edge of the Jordan River. You know, the word Jordan actually means descend. Where was Jesus baptized? The Jordan. What happened at the Jordan River? the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. You see, the Jordan River is a picture in the story of the, of the Israelites' exodus. It's if you put yourself in their shoes, I've left slavery, I've stepped into baptism and salvation, I've learned the presence and, and power and provision of God. And then they were stepping into their destiny required the Holy Spirit descending, anointing them for the purposes that he had called them for. The truth is you're not going to step into your destiny without the empowering presence of God with you, in you, anointing you for what he's called you to. But he has. There is a specific call from God on your life. If you can interpret the promised land as anything, it's that. And you were not made to wander in the wilderness, to get stuck in fear and discouragement and disillusionment and disappointment and discontentment. In fact, I feel like this morning, God wants to break through those of you who have been paralyzed by disappointment. This didn't go the way I thought it was gonna go. I got betrayed in the middle of this whole thing and I'm just done. I'm done with church, I'm done with God. I barely came because my spouse or my friend drugged me here. It's like God wants to break off disappointment and he wants to say, hey, I'm giving you courage to step back into what I created you to live for. And so often we allow those things to keep us from the promises of God. We step into that oh me mentality. Why me? It's like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I got another fight in me. No, Caleb, 85 years old, Mm -hmm. I've got as much in me now as I did when we started. I'm taking my mountain. You were made to take mountains. You were made to live in victory. You were made to live out the very call of God in your life. And he wants to give you everything that you need. And here's the reality for you. If that mountain looks too big for you, if you're intimidated by that mountain, then you're looking at the right mountain. And if that mountain looks like, oh, I could just do that all on my own, then you're missing it. Thank you, Kenny. You're missing it. You've settled for too small of a mountain. You've settled for too small of a destiny. If you're like, oh, I can just, I can just, you know, I don't even need anybody. I'll just go do that myself. If you can accomplish what you think the call of God is on your life without the help of God or anybody else, you're not dreaming big enough. You're not hearing correctly. It's way bigger. It's way bigger than you could imagine. You were created for so much more than you could do on your own. Daniel 11 says this, that those who know their God will do great exploits. I'm not going to project my call onto you. That's not fair. Don't do that to me, please. It may be that the mountain you need to take is leaving your family line in a way different place than you found it. And it may mean that your first step into the promised land is dealing with that addiction. May mean that the first step into the promised land is asking for help. It may mean that your first step into the promised land is saying to your spouse, hey, we need counseling. We need help. In fact, I would say this to you. If you're married, you need counseling. Counseling. I'll also say this to you. If you're not married, you need counseling. You are not going to step into the call of God on your life accidentally. And see, sometimes we, th- we think of it like, and here's how our journey often begins. Our journey often begins, it's like childhood. God does most of the work in the beginning. He's just waiting on our agreement and our participation. And as we mature, what God's looking for is not 35 and 55 and 75-year-old babies who need him to feed them, who need them to change his diaper, their diaper, What he's looking for is mature sons and daughters who step into the promised land that's got all of the provision that it needs. You see, in a season, manna and water from the rock is right to sustain you. But that's not what they were called to live in in the promised land. Are you with me? The promised land, the land that they had to agree and step into with courage, had all of the provision in it. And it was going to be their responsibility to conquer it, to take it. And so often we think, oh, well, God just does this thing, right? It's like, oh, God will just, I don't have to steward my finances because God always provides. It's like, no, that's foolishness. And the same thing is true in every area of your life. It's like, I don't have to steward my spiritual maturity. That's my pastor or my community group leader. They're the ones that will do that. Well, there's a season That Maybe going to church once a week will give you the nourishment that you need. But you weren't created to live that way. You were created to live intimately with God, to know him, to have a powerful prayer life, to just devour scripture, to live it out, to embody scripture. See, you were always meant to move into maturity. You were created for the promised land. There are hills that you have to take, and it's going to require your courage, your participation with God. And here's the great thing about the courage that God's inviting you into, is your courage is not meant to be in yourself. So often with so much of our self-help stuff, it's like, oh, just believe in yourself. Like, don't beat yourself up. That's ridiculous. But I'm not interested in what I can do. That's boring to me. You with me? It's like, I wanna see what God can do. Yeah. What's God gonna do with a man, with the people that are laid out for him? They're saying, hey, God, we're all in with you. Right. You with me? Yes. I believe that's what God's calling us into. I believe that we've got mountains to take. It means this. If we're going to take those mountains, it means this for each of us. And I feel like it's, it's collective. Like, this is a corporate word, not just an individual word. Because I think God's leading us into a place, and I think God's doing something here that the world needs. In fact, yesterday I was at a conference and they were the guy wasn't prophesying, giving words of encouragement to anybody. He pulled me out of the bunch and said, hey. He didn't even know my name. We had met one time before. Hey, you from San Marcos, what's your name? Begin to say, hey, what, what God is doing in your place is the Cana miracle. You know what happened at Cana? It's in John chapter two. It's when Jesus takes the ceremonial pots of religious washing and turns them into wine. And what God wants to do through this people, and I think he's gonna scatter us to the world, what he wants to do is take pots of religion that have had people trapped in bondage and that have been soaked with filth, and multiply us as the very wine of heaven to the world. I'm not saying we're the only thing that God's doing in the world, but I think he wants to do something special here. But it's gonna require courageous people And say we're all in. Amen? Stand, let me pray with you. I wanna pray for you. Our ministry team can come forward. Um. I do feel like there is just a grace for healing in the room. You may just need, like your, your life, you may feel like you're in the wilderness and totally directionless. And I trust this team to pray for you and that God will open things up in your life. And so if you're just in that place where like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, I feel really stuck, I believe that they'll, they'll pray and things will open in your life. feel like God wants to, to heal some people maybe you're wrestling with even what Phoebe was talking about maybe you've just got this nagging thing what it really is is a demonic presence and it's not your fault necessarily it doesn't make you a bad person that you've got that it just means that Jesus wants to set you free maybe you're wrestling with suicidal thoughts or depression and it's got you trapped in the wilderness God wants to set you free Maybe you're here this morning and you've never said, hey, I wanna be consecrated to God. I wanna be all in with him. I wanna trust my life to him. This would be a great time to do that. They would love to really to to facilitate you giving your life to Jesus, just to, to be there really as a coach. It's really about you and God just saying, hey, I'm all in, I trust you. I trust that you went to the cross that you dealt with sin and separation so that I could be with you. You rose again to give me new life. So Lord, I just thank you, Lord, that you're raising up a courageous people. Lord, I thank you that you are at work in this place, that you're at work in us, in this people, Lord, that we're not gonna play church as usual. We're not gonna get stuck in religious games, but we're gonna be a people who time after time, for the sake of your kingdom and your work in the world, for the very good of the world, that we be a people who take the hill, who say, give me my mountain. And Lord, I ask this morning, Lord, that by your spirit, you would impart courage to us. That our problems would begin to look like potential and that we would see the solutions before they ever arrive. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to worship a little bit. If you would like ministry, like some, somebody to pray with you, they would love to. Um, And we'll have some baptisms in a little bit.